Hi, my name is Sandy Hudson. I'm the founder of Black Lives Matter Canada, and I support the work that Reverend Dr. Sherry DeNovo has been doing in media, making sure that left voices and religious voices are coming together so we can talk about politics and faith. I listen to The Radical Reverend Show and CIUT 89.5 FM, and I hope that you support them too. Welcome everyone to The Radical Reverend Show. And this, of course, is our fundraising week at CIUT 89.5 FM. The first clip you're going to hear is something very near and dear to us all or should be, because last week was Trans Awareness Week and this week, on Friday, November the 20th, is the Trans Day of Remembrance. Uh, just before I left Queen's Park, I tabled and passed a bill, it was my swan song bill, uh, and had all party support. And the bill stated that everyone at Queen's Park before question period had to rise for a moment of silence to commemorate those trans people who had died by violence in the year before. And right now the count is over 430 people. That's internationally. And of course, we don't know everyone. And of course, good statistics aren't kept. Uh, but certainly we do know in Toronto that there were four, most recently Coco and before her uh, Allure Wells and before her uh, Samaya uh, and before her, Julie Berman. And Julie Berman actually was murdered just before Christmas and just around the corner from the church where I work at Trinity St. Paul's. I'm the minister there, uh, your host, Sherry DeNovo. So this Sunday, this past Sunday, uh, we invited Junior Joplin, Reverend Junior Joplin, previously of Lauren Park Baptist Church to come and share some thoughts about her coming out process, and so she did. We are so delighted to have had her. Uh, she's made, in fact, international news since her coming out story. What happened was that she came out as female during a service on Zoom after the pandemic had hit. And uh, then the congregation took their time and thought about it, prayed about it, and took a vote as to whether she should remain on in ministry there. Sadly for everyone, uh, the vote failed, but only by a handful of votes. And this is a Baptist church in Mississauga. So quite a first uh, for them and of course, but really for baptism generally speaking. Certainly there are churches in the United States with trans ministers, uh, but this truly was a first uh, in Canada for someone to come out uh, of an evangelical or Baptist background. Uh, the very first trans woman to be ordained in Canada was uh, our own Reverend Cindy Bourgeois, who came up through my church, then Emmanuel Howard Park United, and now Roncesvalles United. So I thought it was fitting because it's so uh, particular to the Radical Reverend show that we would focus on this and that we have always focused on the intersection of faith and religion and progress, and particularly where it comes to uh, trans rights and queer rights generally. So I suggest that while you listen to Junia, you go to your website, you do donate to CIUT because where else 
seriously, where else are you going to hear an entire sermon by a trans minister from the Baptist church coming out and talking about it? So do listen up. Uh, this is Junia Joplin again, Reverend Junia Joplin. This is a sermon she preached Sunday, November the 15th. So if you're listening to the show on radio, just the day before now. And uh, you'll hear at one point some tears in her eyes. And this is Trinity St. Paul's United Church up on Bloor Street by Spadina. Um, about 10% of the congregation would identify as queer. Most don't. Um, it's multiracial and multi-age. And then right after we had a wonderful coffee hour on Zoom where folk asked Junior questions and got her answers. So here she is, uh, Reverend Junior Joplin, sermon just preached uh, for the Trans Day of, of Remembrance during the Trans Week of Awareness. Do listen in. We're delighted to welcome Junior Joplin, Reverend Junior Joplin, to be our guest preacher today on Trans Day of Remembrance. We're delighted to have you. Thank you. Um, grace and peace to you, beloved, in the name of Jesus who loves us and calls us to walk in newness of life, to walk in the light. And, and thank you to the folks of Trinity St. Paul's and to Reverend DeNovo for inviting me to share a reflection this morning. And, and besides that, for helping to form a community of faith where trans people are welcomed and treasured. Uh, my name is June, uh, Reverend June Joplin. Um, I'm a trans woman with a background in congregational ministry. Uh, I'm really grateful for opportunities like these, opportunities to do some of the work that, that I was called to do as the woman I was called to be. That's such a precious gift. Thank you and thanks be to God for you. Funerals are a big part of your job when you're a minister. I learned this lesson firsthand during the seven or so years I spent serving my first pastorate down in Richmond, Virginia. My congregation in those days was small, but their average age was pretty high. So we said goodbye to dozens and dozens of good people during my tenure. There were times that I canceled vacations to do a funeral service. There were times that I missed Christmas celebrations with my family to do a funeral service. There were times I did so many funerals in a month, I was worried that I was gonna get mixed up and call the deceased by the wrong name. I remember getting a call once from a man who didn't even attend my church. He was a man that I had met in passing because he too was a banjo player. He said, June, it's Charlie. Look, I'm, I'm really sick and I'm not gonna get better. You're the only minister I know, so I want you to come by the house and we can talk about my funeral. We met and we got to know each other a little better and a couple of weeks later, I did his funeral service. But there have been many times during my ministry when because of my role, because of my vocation, my position, I've been called upon to do a funeral service for someone I never really knew, even someone I never met. It's a strange feeling standing in front of a gathered group of people, trying to speak a word of comfort, attempting to paint a picture in the most general of terms of a life that never really intersected with your own. And there you are, because it's your job to be there, telling stories about a person to people who knew them intimately. 
those were times when I have asked myself, what on earth am I doing here? Times when I have felt keenly aware of the difference between my office, my title, and myself. Transgender Awareness Week began on Friday, November the 13th. And Trans Day of Remembrance is coming up on Friday the 20th. And in this season of awareness and remembrance, I'll confess that I feel a little bit like that young pastor standing in front of a congregation, speaking at a memorial service for someone that she barely knew. I came out in June. I'd been living a semi-closeted life or a repressed life uh, for a little more than two years before that. My coming out attracted attention. That was one of my goals, in fact, to raise awareness in my corner of the church and to share a message with those who might otherwise not get to hear it. I was on the news. I was on television. I was in the New York Times, something that I had specifically predicted would never happen. But all I did to show up in the headlines was come out and get fired. An accidental activist, one LGBTQ plus rights leader called me. These few months later, I'm still daily wrestling with questions about who I am and what I might end up doing with my life. I'm still healing from a lot of trauma, mostly uh, at the hands of the church. I'm still torn between a steady chorus of voices calling me to be a part of services like these and a personal desire just to disappear for a while so I can figure out this new version of my life. I really wanna let the murky waters of my soul just lie still for a season until the clouds settle and they become clear. Well, there's a line that I learned from one of my mentors, and I learned it the day that we worked together to preside at a funeral of a man that we never knew, a man who died in faith after a long struggle with Alzheimer's. Standing at the lectern in a funeral home chapel, my mentor said, I am not here today as someone who knew Alan well in life. I am here as the teller of an old story. I've never forgotten those words. I've repeated them many, many times myself. I believe they could be repeated today. I'm not here today as someone who understands the life of an openly transgender person. Well, I am not here as someone who knows the stories or who can cite the statistics or who can repeat the names. I'm not here as someone who has experienced the worst of what trans people face on a daily basis. I live with so many privileges, some of them left over from my former life, even if those privileges are less than they were before privileges of race and education and health and financial resources and housing. I've never so much as been misgendered in public, in fact. But I am here as the teller of an old story. I'm here as someone who connects stories, as someone who can trace connections from my story and the story of so many of my trans siblings to ancient, inspiring stories of faith. Because I'm a preacher. Often I really don't like being a preacher, but it's what I do and it's who I am. And people keep asking me, so I keep doing it. One of the stories I'm fond of repeating at memorial services, at funeral services, shows up in the 11th chapter of the Gospel according to John. It's the story that we've heard read in part this morning. It's a story about Jesus and his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And the story goes that Lazarus has gotten very sick and died. His sisters, Mary and Martha, are grieving near their brother's tomb. When Jesus arrives to comfort them, 
It's a powerful story about faith, about sorrow, about how God joins us in the midst of our grief. It's the story that contains the short verse that says Jesus wept. In the end, it's a story about how, it's a story about new life because Jesus winds up calling for Lazarus to come out of the tomb and he does it. It's the story in which we hear Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. And I've repeated those words, that part of this old story in more funeral services than I can count. You know, I believe that this is a story about transition, personally. As a trans person and as a student of the Christian scriptures, I see glimpses of myself and of my transgender siblings in this story. So many of us will tell you that transition feels like healing, that it feels like recovery, that it feels like being raised to walk in newness of life, to use very this language. A little more than two years ago, when I came out to a pastor friend of mine, when I told him that I was also a pastor and that I was afraid for my future if I ever actually came out and transitioned, he said to me, well, you're really getting to live the resurrection life, aren't you? The transition is, in the language of John chapter 11, to get up and to cast off your grave clothes and to walk right out of your tomb. It is a miracle when any of us take those steps out of the darkness, away from the stench of decay, into the light of new life. It is a miracle when any of us hears that voice as Lazarus heard it, that voice that says, come out. I see you in there, but you don't have to stay there. Get up, follow the light. Wake, oh sleeper, come out, come out. And the story goes that that's exactly what Lazarus did. He heard Jesus's voice and he came out. That's an old story that I love to repeat because it's an amazing story and it's a powerful story and I believe it's a true story because I can see it being lived out in countless ways. But in the end, it's, it's a story that reminds us how perilous new life can be. I'm always fascinated by the aftermath of stories of healing in the scripture of what happens after someone is transitioned from a diminished way of being into fullness of life because it is often the case that those transitions, miraculous though they are, are not welcomed and celebrated. A few days ago, I delivered a sermon from Mark chapter 5, which tells the story of Jesus casting an unclean spirit out of a man. And that story tells us about how when the man's neighbors see him in his new, stable, healed state, they are terrified and they don't want to be around him. And they beg Jesus to get out of their town and leave them alone. Not everyone welcomes transition. And that's certainly the case in John 11, because by the time we've come to the end of the chapter, people are seriously plotting to kill Jesus. And in the next chapter, in John chapter 12, verse 20, we learn that the same religious authorities are actually plotting to kill Lazarus too. There's something about hearing that call to come out, something about actually stepping into new life that many people find unsettling, and objectionable. There's something about walking in the light boldly and proudly that makes people long for the darkness even more. There's something so powerful about the light that trans people carry, 
something that those who love the darkness just can't abide. And so it is, again and again and again, those lovers of darkness want to put us out. With every name that is read on Trans Day of Remembrance, with every tragic violent story that is repeated, we hear a reminder that the darkness wants so badly to overcome the light. We hear a reminder that there are so many who can't handle the light, so many who are afraid of illuminating the specters living in the shadows of their own souls. And we call those specters by many names, bigotry, patriarchy, white supremacy, colonization, homophobia, transphobia, insecurity, toxic masculinity, economic exploitation, ignorant, narrow self-interest, etc. But whatever we call these things, we can see all around us signs that people do not want to confront them. As Jesus said a couple of chapters before this story this morning, John chapter 3, people loved the darkness rather than the light. Stepping into the light is hard sometimes. It requires vulnerability and courage and power. When we embody those things, sooner or later, someone who doesn't is going to try to hurt us. One of the first trans memoirs that I read back when I was newly self-accepting was Tomorrow Will Be Different by Sarah McBride. Some of you may have celebrated the news a week or two ago of Sarah's election to the Delaware State Senate. She was part of a wave of trans and non-binary candidates elected or re-elected to public office in the states on November the 3rd. From her early days of transition, Sarah has been using her privilege and political know-how to become a tireless advocate for trans rights. She's experienced some incredible victories in her journey, but she's also faced plenty of animosity. Towards the end of her book, she takes some time to reflect on what's behind her. Senator McBride points out that every single one of us holds some sort of insecurity, whether it's your sexual orientation, your gender identity, how you look, what you sound like, what you do for a living, or any multitude of characteristics. Everyone struggles with something society has told them is wrong. But as LGBTQ people, she writes, we have had the courage to embrace something that many think we should be ashamed of. We have stood up and decided to live our truth, not just from a place of authenticity, but so often from a place of pride. We have exercised our own individual agency and power to overcome what was once an insecurity, to hold our heads high and proclaim, this is who I am and there is nothing wrong with me. And the bullies see that, she writes. They see our power, and they're jealous of it. They envy the agency we have because we've been able to exercise the clear power that we hold. So often, that is where their hate and vitriol come from. We are powerful my beloved siblings. I see it every single time any one of us hears that voice calling us to come out. 
I see it every time one of us takes a step further into newness of life. I see it every time one of us becomes a target. Every time some hateful coward cannot endure our light. Every time a sibling is lost to violence. Every memorial, every time a name is read on our day of remembrance, I see it. We are powerful. We are luminous. We are walking signs of resurrection, beloved. I see it. It is so clear, so obvious. And even though this is new to me, even though I haven't taken many steps myself, even though I feel inexperienced and ill-prepared for occasions such as these, I still see it. I see us embodying a life that is more powerful than death. I see us living in love that is more powerful than hate. I see us walking in light that is more powerful than the darkness. I see us becoming part of that old story, that story of resurrection that I know how to tell when I don't know what else to tell. You are powerful. Rise in power. Walk in power. Rest in power. Amen. Reverend Junia, thank you so much for that incredible uh, sermon and uh, your passion and your love. You heard uh, Junia Joplin's sermon and a powerful one indeed. Uh, and I want to introduce uh, someone else who's been a regular on this show since its inception off and on, uh, Miss Susan Gapka, who has been a trans activist for as long as I've been uh, involved in politics and uh, was certainly there as I always describe Susan as the best lobbyist Queen's Park ever saw. Um, and at that point she wasn't making any money and she made it her mission just to show up, to talk to everybody, conservatives, liberals, NDPers. We didn't have Mike then in the house, uh, no Green Party representation. Uh, Susan would have been there too if he had been. Talking about trans rights and the necessity for it. I worked with Susan and uh, brought in in 2012 uh, the addition to the Ontario Human Rights Code, which added trans rights. Susan was there for that. Susan was lobbying for that. Uh, it was a delight to be able to work with her. Susan was also there when we brought in Trans Day of Remembrance. Uh, in fact, uh, a flag that I hold dear, a trans flag that I had in my office that I still have in my office, uh, Susan's name is written on there among uh, other trans activists who were present that day when that happened. For parent equality, uh, Susan was there and testifying. Uh, for uh, Gay Straight Alliances, uh, not my bill, but when that went through, she was there. Uh, and of course, she celebrated with us when we banned conversion therapy in Ontario in 2015. So Susan has been around and has been active for uh, most of the time that I have been in politics. And it's a delight to have her now speaking about why. Why is she part of this radio show? And why does she contribute to CIUT and to alternative press the way that she does? Uh, Susan now works for CUPE and Susan was uh, there when a junior preached this sermon and in fact brought a picture of her friend, Julie Berman uh, with her uh, so that we could honor and pray for her family, uh, Julie, again, the woman who was murdered last year, trans woman, one of four in Toronto. 
So welcome, Susan, to the Radical Reverend Show. Uh, so we're back here on the Radical Reverend Show. We heard a little bit uh, more of Junia's sermon on Trans Day Remembrance, um, because as the show airs, um, we're looking forward to the Trans Day of Remembrance on November the 20th. And it's a little, you know, it's, it's sadder than usual this year because normally we would all be at Queen's Park. We would all be watching the Moment of Silence. Moment of Silence is still going to happen. My bill made it law. It'll happen on the Thursday, but nobody will be in the house to watch it. There will be no flag raising, um, which is also sad. Um, so in our, our own small way here in the Radical Reverend Show, we are going to commemorate it by having uh, an incredible trans activist, Susan Gapka, who has been part of my life for Susan, like way over a decade now, um, in terms of working on LGBTQ bills, but particularly trans bills. Uh, so welcome to the show. Welcome to Radical Reverend, Susan. Well, thank you for inviting me. Um, we've supported and helped each other for long, more than 10 years. Yes, feels, like a, feels like a lifetime. It's actually going on 20, almost almost going on 20, because, yeah. We so, met when you first were running for public exactly. office, and yeah. I had heard about you, and um, then you got elected, and we wanted to change laws. So we, we changed are here. the world. We are so here we for each world. other. When you call, I answer and the other way around. So yeah. thank you for inviting me to be here today. Of course. Now, Trans Day of Remembrance, just maybe tell those, I mean, I think most folk who listen to this show know what Trans Day of Remembrance is, but maybe there's a few who aren't clear. Why try Trans Day of Remembrance every year? And in particular, I want to highlight a couple of, of people, um, Julie Berman, who uh, you know is is was murdered in downtown Toronto, and Coco, who just died um, about a week ago in police custody. So maybe Susan, you knew Julie, and if you could say a few words about them and why Tidor. Well, Trans Day of Remembrance or International Trans Day of Remembrance started in, um, and I don't have the exact date, but it was the murder of uh, Rita Hester. And um, there's been a long standing trans people experiencing violence and discrimination, transphobia and hate crimes, and largely gone unnoticed and uninvestigated by the authorities. Quite often systems in place uh, by the authorities are the perpetrators of that violence, remembering we were criminalized until just recently. Um, the next year someone else uh, died and there was a protest in San Francisco, um, I believe, and uh, that grew into an international um, day of remembrance. And in Canada, the first day of Trans Day of Remembrance was in 2001 in Vancouver. And by 2004, there were events in Edmonton, St. John's, Ottawa, Toronto, and Brock University in St. Catharines. I spoke at that one, I was an invited guest. But here's something you find interesting for those of you in Ontario. On November 18th, 2004, we rallied at the LGBT out at the University of Toronto, marched over to Queen's Park and petitioned 
the health minister for funding in the legislature. And that was for the, uh, the uh, surgery that was cut by the conservative government. Um, at the 519, um, Kyle Scanlon held the first annual TDOR event in 2003. And it's grown in leaps and bounds since that time. And it's sad because Trans Day of Remembrance is, in my view, as a sort of a bit of a fundamentalist on this, as someone who helped bring an elder who brought it to Canada, um, it's a memorial. It's sad. It's overwhelming for many. And that's why there's other events, a celebratory vision. But I was very, very focused on bringing public attention to our misery of our trauma so that we could change the public per public perception and actually have human rights protections. And I'd say mission accomplished. It's unfortunate though, because while it's illegal to discriminate, discriminate, discriminate against trans and transgender people in Canada, it still happens far too often. Absolutely. So tell us about Julie and Coco, because um, those um, are local deaths um, that, and Coco just, you know, over a week ago, and I know you knew Julie, that was uh, last year, um, but maybe just talk about, uh, you know, for one thing, we still don't have a lot of information about either of those deaths, uh, which is unfortunate and, you know, leads into a discussion about policing, which we won't go into. Um, we don't have the time today, but but talk about Julie and, Co and, and Coco and, and you knew Julie. So let's start there. I, um, I knew Julie and not as well as some, but I knew her well enough. Um, she was a community member. She actually spoke the year earlier in, I guess that would make it 2018 at the Trans Day of Remembrance where I led uh, the, the remembrance part, the vigil part of the ceremony. And um, I had forgotten about that, but she talked about her own struggle, how she'd been, um, and we have film of that, um, which she talked about her own struggle uh, around addiction. Um, she talked about being um, experiencing violence from someone in her building. And it was really quite something to see that, but I've known her all, not that well, but I had met her just a few, uh, about a month earlier. Now she had reached out to me for help and I had not responded. And I still feel some, I wish I would have, you know, we. When people close to you die, or at least for me, what I felt is sometimes we wish we could have done more. And I have a regret around that. But the day she was murdered, I was at Trinity St. Paul's Church just around the corner from the murder site at Harvard and um, Brunswick. And I went over to a local restaurant on the corner there. I don't know if you want me to say the name, but one of my... Uh, um, the bistro there um, and I'd had lunch there and went home. So I missed, I was like right nearby when it happened. And I'm, I just, we miss her. Yeah, absolutely. And Coco, is there news about 
Coco. I mean, we heard she died in police custody, but we haven't heard much about that. Is there an investigation? What's, what's going on there? What have you heard? Well, I mean, there's a lot of community anger about what happened. Um, the SIU misgendered her, and I've heard they've apologized, but you know, that's bad. The police, when the SIU investigates, the police can't really comment, but so we don't know what happened. She was uh, apprehended under a mental health act. And this happens a lot. We have had inquest after inquest of um, people who have died while in custody. Uh, so I don't have a lot of details and I don't, didn't know Coco well. So it's, um, uh, in fact, I didn't really know her. So I, I'm not as touched, but it's, you know, for black trans women, racialized women, trans women, um, experience lateral violence on a level that a white person like myself won't experience. I have some advantage, I have disadvantages and advantages, um, but uh, the situation is like, I, I have a feeling that, you know, the city's working on creating a better crisis response, um, but for some people like Coco and Julie, it's gonna be too late for them. And that's really sad. That's what we commemorate mm -hmm. on Trans Day of Remembrance. And, we and remember to, those lives and we make them human again. Absolutely. Um, just uh, talking to Susan Gap, Gapka, um, QP, um, uh, activist and uh, trans activist here on the Radical Reverend Show. And this is our fundraising show, of course. So we encourage you to donate, uh, donate online, of course, now at CIUT 89.5 FM. You just hit on the little button there and uh, do what it tells you. Um, and it keeps alternative radio alive. And this is the only alternative radio station left in Toronto. We're also on iTunes and SoundCloud and podcasts, but there's something to radio, you know, it's like Buffalo to Barry and Kitchener to Coburg. And, um, and, and the Radical Reverend show has been on for 20 years and it's always had a queer bent, right, Susan? <laughs> it's always well, had a queer bent. It's um, really important to support shows like the Radical Reverend and your shows to shine a light, you know, like Trans Day of Remembrance and some of our lives have been pushed aside, pushed to them, why they call it marginalized, pushed to the margins and over the edge. And it's really important for media, even if it's alternate media, before it gets into mainstream media, is to really support bringing light to where the darkness is. And you've done that tremendously well over the years and um, I'm going to donate $25 after this pod after our conversation and I want to urge that uh, other members do the same so that we can continue to have the kind of shows that Sherry and um, the radio station has brought uh, to us for how many decades now? Um, Radical Reverend 20 years and uh, yeah um, it's a long time and a good time. Thank you so much, Susan Gapka for, for that. And by the way, if you find yourself not far from the actual station on Bloor Street near Trinity St. Paul's, you will see some purple ribbons with the names of those we've lost uh, tied to the railings. Feel free to bring your own purple 
uh, ribbon and add to that. Thank you, Susan. Uh, great to have you on the show again. One of the frequent contributors to the show on our Left Left or Leftist panel is Alex Grant of Fightback. Alex is an out Marxist and represents the leftist uh, part of our Left Left or Leftist panel. And uh, Alex has agreed to come on and chat about what it means to be a socialist and to be out on alternative radio. And again, um, this is the Radical Reverend show. And quite frankly, where are you going to hear on one show, someone like Junior Joplin, and then someone like Alex Grant in the same breath, almost, or certainly the same hour. Uh, so Alex, uh, again, uh, incredible organizer. I was very aware of Fight Back and the work that they do, mainly on campuses across Canada to introduce students to Marxism, and also to introduce students to the idea of socialism and the fact that uh, socialism might just be, I would argue that it is, the only way in some way, shape or form, the only way we're really going to get serious about the climate crisis and changing it. There are some hundred companies in the world that are responsible for 71% of greenhouse gas emissions. Think about that, just a hundred companies. Imagine if those companies were worker controlled or controlled by the government in any meaningful way, how, what we could do to affect climate uh, change. And not to mention the fact that if our taxation system were at all fair and the wealthy paid their fair share of taxes, what that money could do to uh, make a better world. Uh, and certainly it would be enough money to house every homeless person in Canada, to pay for everybody's university fees, and childcare for everyone and pharmacare it would fill our dream list if, for example, big tech paid their proper share of taxes and everyone else did too. So um, it's really important uh, to have left, left or leftist, uh, to have that voice on CIUT 89.5. Of course, we're also in great company with David Barsamian's show and also Democracy Now!, which airs on this show. Uh, and if you're only listening to mainstream media, you are not getting the news. And if you're only on social media and aren't in the right set of algorithms, you might not be getting the news either. So again, uh, only on the Radical Reverend Show, which is why we really encourage you, please, please, please uh, do this. This is the week to do it, is to go to the website. Um, it's very simple to donate there. Just hit the donate here button and uh, any way you can donate, do donate because that's so important. And it's particularly important now. We're in a pandemic. Uh, mainstream media is not bringing you all the news. Sorry, they are not. Uh, and we just witnessed uh, an election south of the border where the only analysis of its kind uh, you'll hear on this station, which is coming from a socialist place, which is coming from a not mainstream place, but looking at, you know, what do people on the left think should have happened, should happen, and what do they think did happen? Um, that's true news. So please, again, uh, tune in um, every week, not just this week. We're also, of course, on podcast. We're on SoundCloud and iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. But most notably this week, we're here on CIUT 89.5 FM, the only alternative radio station left in Toronto that will bring you this kind of spoken word programming. So let's talk to Alex. 
Right now, I have with me Alex Grant from Fight Back, who is a member of our Left Lefter Leftist panel. He's the leftist <laughs> on that <laughs> panel. And, uh, and I wanted to chat to him just about the value of, of first of all, alternative radio and the Left Lefter -less Leftist panel, because the original thought that I had behind that panel is we just need a corrective to the mainstream press. All we're hearing in the mainstream press is right, writer, rightist, right? So let's look at the other direction. Um, but yeah, talk to us, Alex. So why are you part of that and why is it important? Yeah, it, it's absolutely vital uh, that we have an alternative media. And I'd like to thank you, Sherry, for uh, putting this on and getting so irritated about the uh, corporate media of uh, with with no opportunity, no different ideas that uh, there's uh, Chomsky talked about manufacturing consent that uh, the boundaries of acceptable thought is constrained to being so very, very narrow, when in fact the, the ideology of the status quo doesn't explain what's going on and people just end up being uh, so confused. And, and, and that's why uh, yeah, the Left Leftist Leftist show and other similar shows are, are so vital to allow people to think, allow people to hear different ideas and make their own minds up. Yeah, Alex, we were talking just before we started recording um, about uh, the U.S. elections, which happened, and our Law and Disorder panel talked about it. But, um, but I mean, it, you had some comments around the coverage of that election. So maybe share those with us. Yeah, there was a widespread view that the commentariat were totally lost, to that the polls were all wrong, massively wrong that on the morning after the election, it actually looked like Trump had won, right? And, uh, and, they, and it was uh, men shouting at walls. That was, and, and, the, and the talking heads they had were the most boring individuals imaginable because they had nothing to say, absolutely nothing to say, no understanding of why America is so polarized. And, and, you, can't, uh, and you can't understand why America is so polarized without a socialist perspective, really, uh, to understand that society is in crisis and the, and the status quo is in, in crisis. And that's why a, a sector will turn to racists like Trump, uh, because there isn't a left voice there or very weak, uh, weakly organized left voice. But then it, that left voice has no platform in the media. So the media has no understanding what's going on and oh well, you have to moderate to uh, uh, reach the middle ground, and that's where people are. And it's like no, people hate the middle ground. They hate the middle ground, and so the analysis was just banal, banal and boring and irritating to everybody. And I, I think I saw like half a dozen articles saying how terrible the election coverage was. Uh, whereas I, us with, you know, it, it's like we we are very left wing. You and I, Sherry. Uh, I'm a bit lefter, but we're both very left wing. Uh, and uh, but we're not we're not crazy people. We have very uh, well thought out arguments that anybody who actually sits down and listens, they let people learn a lot and make their own mind up. And that needs to be reach a mass audience. Absolutely. Uh, and, and read the American election coverage. I mean, it it was it sort of reminded me of a sporting event, which I suppose is the way they look at it. But it was all about numbers, sort of numbers flashing on the screen from various states um, that, as you say, like certainly the morning after looked 
terrifying uh, for those who would like to see Trump gone. Um, and uh, with very little explanation about what was really going on or what was happening. Um, I mean, ultimately, I think the pollsters were a little right more right than I thought they they were, but but still, I mean, the, you know, it's it's such a you know mess that election process. Anyway, I mean, the fact that they're still counting, you know, like <laughs> is is craziness. I mean, uh, it's like you, you sort of, I mean, not that our elections are, you know, not that we're a perfect democracy, not by a long shot, but but I mean, my goodness, lineups for hours and having to drive, you know, a hundred miles to vote and then waiting and waiting for the count and you. Know, you know, this is absurd. Um, uh, just the technology is absurd, you know, so the lack of it. You know? yeah, um, yeah. And, and the massive voter suppression, like well, the, course, the most yeah. blatant voter suppression. None of this is accidental, right? Uh, that poor people, racialized people, absolute, you know, it's like barrier after barrier after barrier. Yes, uh, the, the interesting, one interesting thing about the election that it, it was one of the highest turnouts for like a century or something. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of passion in it, but, there, but you're right, there was no real analysis from CNN. CNN, I mean, you've got the Democratic channel CNN and you've got the Republican you know, channel Fox and they both um, had no analysis of each yeah. other or of what was actually going on, um, which was, and then certainly nobody, I, I don't think I heard voter suppression coming out of anybody's mouth. Now, maybe I missed it, but um, yeah, I didn't eat on CNN. So even though they were profoundly even, on the Democrat uh, side, yeah. Yeah, and even CBC, you know, our, our, our public broadcaster, that show after show, they'd be doing these interviews by, by some far-right Trumpian nutbar in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and there was like half, there was like a dozen interviews with people like this. And it was like, what do they represent? Right? It, it doesn't actually teach anybody anything anywhere. Like, I think they, uh, uh, they interview people in all the Torontos in uh, United States, which are all small town. And it was very, uh, but people weren't, they, they, it didn't really teach you anything. It was just, uh, here's this random individual with uh, uh, far right ideas. Yeah, I, I uh, took, uh, among others, a CP24. I was sort of, like many others, kind of tweeting as the thing was unfolding. And uh, and for a while there, CP24 kept running this rerun of Eric Trump, you know, talking outside some building. I mean, it was absurd. It's like, why is Eric Trump, you know, why is this the fallback person? But, but I mean, yeah, I hear you. And, um, and and to get back to the reason for alternative radio and, and the reason for the left, left or leftist panel, among others, other aspects of the Radical Reverend show, um, this is the only place you're going to hear it. Um, we're the last alternative radio station left in Toronto. You may be hearing this on podcast too, uh, but know that it started with the radio station. Without the radio station, no show. And so that's why we need your support. Um, and this is the only radio station that hosts uh, Democracy Now! in Toronto. So you can hear that. Um, and you can he hear uh, uh, David Barsami on and uh, others. So, I mean, again, there's reporting that actually happens from a left or socialist perspective, which is so important. Um, uh, and whatever you think, I mean, at least there's another view, right? <laughs> at least there's another take instead of the same old, same old on mainstream media, which is, and they still seem to play the game. And maybe you want to weigh in on this, Alex's, you know, last thoughts, but they still, mainstream media still seems to, you know, pretend that they're not biased, right? <laughs> like, oh. it, they, like it's sort of 50 of one and 50 of the other. I, I, I get that all of a sudden CNN and Fox have kind of dropped that mantle and are solidly 
biased, but I mean, there's no room, uh, you know, they still pretend that there's a kind of neutrality about it and that, it, and certainly nobody entertains the thought that there could be a third view or a fourth view or a fifth view on anything, right? Anyway, weigh in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, unbiased, what they massively support the status quo. When uh, poll after poll, like in Canada, 58% of the population support socialism, right? Uh, and these voices are totally absent on the mainstream corporate media, the mass media. So yeah, it's absolutely vital. Everyone listening to this, uh, you need to support alternative media, which I think many people are doing. There is a, there is a renaissance of alternative media. Uh, that's one advantage of the internet. And, uh, and it's fantastic that uh, this show goes out on the actual airwaves still, not just online. And uh, we need to support that. And people are becoming more skeptical, yeah, skeptical of status quo media. But yeah, it, it's, it's scandalous that they think that uh, you know, supporting the status quo is being unbiased. It's actually heavily biased and heavily hypocritical because the status quo is a point of opinion and everybody who breathes has an opinion. Absolutely. And yes, uh, and so we are Buffalo to Barry and Kitchener to Coburg. So we are really asking for your donations. Now you do it online. Um, just go to the website, CIUT 89.5 FM, and just hit that button. Um, and it keeps it keeps this alternative voice alive. So thank you very much, um, Alex Grant from Fight Back on a regular on our Left Left or Leftist panel. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Have a great day. You too. Thank you for listening to this fundraising show. It's been a delight to be with you. It's a delight to have been on this radio uh, station for 20 years as a radical reverend and and, uh, many more years besides as three women when I was in political life. So now as radical reverend, I wanna thank you all for your generosity for donating and please keep those donations coming. Again, until next time on the Radical Reverend Show.